At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Jackie led into it perfectly in her announcement. She said, we're family. Right here, we're church family. We love each other. We care for each other. We reach out to each other when we're hurting. And that was evident this week with the passing of Andy. Those of you who reached out to the family with cards, who were at the funeral, who prayed with them, they want to say thank you very much, church family, for being exactly that, being family. You know, and even as time passes and we may move on, church family is always church family. And that's where Dan and Nancy and their girls are this morning. They're up at Griswold Street Baptist Church, former church family for them. It's the 100th anniversary of Griswold Street, and they're up there celebrating with them this morning. So we wish safe travels for them and an enjoyable time with church family. Would you agree with me, church, if I was to say that we live in a distraction-heavy world? Yeah. Heck yeah, distraction is everywhere. And it's all the more evident to us as a family as we're training teenage drivers that distraction is a huge thing. We can see that she's driving the straight and narrow, a conversation comes in, something on the radio, a sign that she wants to read, and all of a sudden it's brakes or turn. Distractions are everywhere. Have you ever done like me? You're driving and you pull into your destination and then you think for a second, how did I get here? You ever done that? What happened to the last 10 minutes of my drive? Gosh, I hope I was going the speed limit, or I hope I saw those stoplights. I don't remember. I was distracted. I might have been daydreaming, listening to the radio. Has it ever happened to you in your Bible study time, or maybe in your time of prayer? Distractions get the best of you? I have a routine in the morning. It's Bible. It's prayer. I check my calendar for meetings, text messages that might have come in over the night, the weather app so I know how to dress for the morning, but sometimes I'll be halfway through reading and I find myself multitasking. It's a horrible thing, distraction-heavy world. But how do we hear from God in a world that's filled with distractions? This morning in our habit series, the short three-week little mini-series that we're doing, we're going to examine that. Another one of these ancient practices that's applicable to our lives today. We're going to look at the nagging question of how to hear God's word in a world that has our eyes and has our ears, and we're going to do it by looking at scripture meditation. Now you might be thinking, we're not Buddhists, we're not Hindu, we don't meditate, we're Christians. Let me reassure you that it's a very biblical practice, it's a very ancient practice, and we're going to dive into the word of God today and see how applicable that is to our lives. Because the focus of Eastern meditation is to clear your mind. But it's quite the opposite with Christian meditation. Christian meditation ponders a verse or passage from Scripture so that truth can sink deeply into our being. To meditate in God's Word is to go beyond reading to try to find some doctrine or some truths about God or some more theology, which I think I'm guilty of. This is very applicable to me. And it's asking Him to meet with us personally in the Scripture. Meditation puts into practice, puts feet on the practice that we believe that the Word of God is living and active. 
That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. The word of God is living and active. It's not frozen in time. It's not something dead. It's alive today. And it's just as alive today as it was when it was breathed out by the Holy Spirit through the authors of the text thousands of years ago. And what makes God's word living and active is the presence of the Spirit communicating to us as we read it. Scripture meditation is the practice of listening to the voice of the Spirit as we read through the text. And it's all in an effort to be molded more into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful foretaste of what we'll all have one day in heaven, in the presence of God, being able to be there with him every day. And we can do that now as we meditate on his word. I hope that excites you. It excites me. The past couple of weeks while I've been able to prepare for this has been very exciting. What could be more exciting than knowing that we can meet God personally and intimately every single day as we dive in and meditate on his word? And God has desired that. From the moment that his word came to his people in the law, in Deuteronomy, he's desired that it would fill every moment of their day and be something they meditated on. This isn't our scripture this morning, Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, but we're going to start here just to kind of set the table, just to give us a little bit of a taste of where we're going. This is the word of God through Moses to the people concerning the law. Starting in verse 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your house, to your children, I'm sorry, And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's total daily immersion in God's word. Whatever they were doing, the word was front and center for them. And as God's people obeyed this command, They saw that as they immersed themselves in the constant meditation of his word, they discovered that it changed their relationship with the law. It wasn't a command anymore. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, it's, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. It's available for us today. This complete immersion in God's word is available to us, and that's why we're going to dive into scripture meditation this morning. So if you turn with me to Psalm 19, that's our text for this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, on your phones, on your tablet, whatever you've got in front of you. If you don't have one, there's some on the table back there. We'd love to make that your gift. You can take the Word of God home with you today. But this is a passage, Psalm 19, that does more than just talk about Scripture meditation. It's going to give us step-by-step instructions of how to actually do it. It's this 14-verse compact lesson of how to meet with the Holy Spirit and commune with God in your own personal life. It's this invaluable lost art that we're going to reintroduce today. So let's start in verse 1 in Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The first object of meditation we see here this morning is that nature, creation, reveals God's glory. You ever thought about creation speaking? 
I'm not talking in a grandmother willow or have you ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon type of way. So have you ever quieted your mind and listened to God's creation speak? It's a message to us. And when we meditate on what God has made, when we take the time to hear it, we're taking the time to listen to God in creation. That's what the psalmist means when he writes in verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. This is a message of the Holy Spirit. It was written to us through David. He's the psalmist here. And he spent a lot of time alone with God in creation. He was out tending sheep. He was a soldier spending a lot of time outdoors. And then he spent a long time in caves and in the wilderness as he was hiding from Saul who was pursuing him. So he had a lot of time to spend with God in the wilderness. He had plenty of time to discover that every breeze and every ray of sunshine was the handiwork revealing God's glory. Have you seen it? Have you seen God's glory in something as small as a snowflake? Have you seen his glory in July's version of the snowflake that's been reminding us now for weeks and weeks on end? Maybe we should recognize it so that it can stop. Perhaps you've stood on the shore of one of our great lakes and you've seen the glory of God being shouted by the massive size of that lake. Or maybe it's in the quietness of your own backyard. All of these things in their turn both shout and whisper the glory of God. And this is such a powerful concept that the Holy Spirit doubles down on it and reintroduces it again through the hand of Paul in Romans 1. Paul writes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. See, so eloquent is creation in proclaiming the glory of God that we have no excuse to deny him. But in this distraction-heavy world, in this busy and rushed environment that we live in, do we take the time to hear him? There are certain places in this world that shout his glory. If you haven't heard him speak through his creation, take your time, take time out of your life and go seek out one of those places and listen to the voice of God and reflect on what kind of God would make that. One of those places for me was when Rhonda and I were first married on our honeymoon in Hawaii on the island of Maui, we booked an excursion to the top of a non-active volcano. The idea was that you take a trip up and then you bicycle down for a couple of hours coasting the whole way after you watch the sunrise. But what really got me about this, not the fact that we had to get up at 2.30 in the morning to drive up there, but you get up to the top of this mountain, which is way above the cloud line, so there's nothing between you and the sky, no clouds. You're far away from any city, so there's no light pollution. And here it is, 4 o'clock in the morning. The sun's not out yet. You have no clouds to block your view, and it's stars everywhere. You have the stars that you and I can see here, right, in a normal bank of stars. But then beyond that, there's another layer of stars. And even further beyond that, it's like a mist of stars. There's so many. And they shimmered in blues and purples and pinks. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And that was one of the ways that God's creation shouted to me, the voice of the creator. But you and I don't have the same travels. We haven't seen the same things. 
But fortunately for us, his signature is everywhere. We can walk a few hundred feet and stand at the edge of this river and see millions of gallons of fresh water rush by this place every day. That's the voice of God whispering to us. We can go up north and look at the pictured rocks, the voice of God shouting his creation. You can listen to a waterfall. How about the gentle lapping of waves on a lake over and over, in and out. It's the heartbeat of creation, bearing witness to the creator himself. So make it a point to quiet your mind and focus and meditate on God's world. But it doesn't stop there for us. Our meditation doesn't end there. It moves from the glory of God's world to the wisdom of his word. So let's look at verses 7 through 11 in Psalm 19. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, in drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The second object of meditation we see this morning is that the law reveals joy and wisdom. Just as we read, the psalm shifts from meditating on creation to meditating on God's word. And as the psalmist ponders God's holy law, he describes it in seven unique ways. You can still see them in the text. He calls it law and testimony and precepts and commands and fears. Each of these descriptions then has an accompanying adjective along with it to describe it. Things like perfect and trustworthy and right and pure. And it's written this way to attract us as readers, to, to kind of tantalize us, tantalize us and show us that the law has many benefits to us. And it transforms the lives of everyone who reads it. There's no better foundation for your life than what is described here. Right precepts, pure commandments, sure testimony. And as we trust the word and build our lives on the firm foundation that it provides, it imparts wisdom to us. Look at the accounts of wisdom we see promised to us in Psalm 19. Verse 7 says it makes wise the simple. That's good for me. Verse 8 says it enlightens the eyes. In verse 11, we see it twice that it warns the servant and leads to great reward. So it may not pass off specific knowledge to you, but it will offer you God-honoring wisdom to use throughout your life. So the word of God's not going to tell you who to marry, but it will give you the wisdom to love your spouse well. It may not tell you what job to take, but it will teach you how to use that job to the divine purpose of honoring God as you work. It won't give you a list of what college courses to register for, but it will tell you how to know God and make him known to others as you learn. And it certainly, living proof, it certainly won't tell you how many kids to have, <laughs> but it will show you how to raise your kids to know Jesus. The word imparts this kind of wisdom. Now, the Stewart family 
has a dog. I have never been accused of calling this dog wise or this dog brilliant. In fact, it's much the opposite. Even compared to other dogs, he's pretty dumb. <laughs> oh, that's okay. He doesn't hear. He doesn't speak English. He's not even on Facebook, so he can't possibly know I'm saying this about him. <laughs> but this dog can watch my kids pour fresh, cold, clean water for him and set it on the deck when we're all outside together. And then 30 seconds later, we can see him knee-deep in the ditch, licking up the mud water when he's got that wonderful water. But similar to that dog, we have something life-giving and pure. But we settle for this world's fallen substitute all the time. We have God's word to meditate on. But instead, we spend our time thinking, uh, what do other people think about me? We ponder that. Or we wonder, how can I portray myself on social media in a way that will make people think better of me? Or we spend our time wondering, how can I come up with a little more money to buy that next toy to compete with my friends or my neighbors? Consequently to that, we live lives that are surrounded by grief. and We always seem to be falling short. But church, the Spirit invites you to come. Come and experience something better in His Word. It says it revives the soul. It rejoices the heart. It says that it is sweeter than honey. Let's look at the last portion of Scripture to see the effect that it has on our hearts. Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. It says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transaction. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's our big idea this morning, is that meditation reforms our hearts. After the psalmist has meditated on God's word, he breaks forth in a prayer. If you look at verse 12 and 13 again, meditation on that word has revealed to the psalmist that he could not discern some of his errors and that he's indeed broken. It's revealed hidden faults, and it cautions him over arrogant or presumptuous sins. And through its wisdom, God's word leads the psalmist into repentance, and God becomes his rock and his redeemer. Do you desire a reformed heart? One that experiences the joy offered to us by our redeemer? Guys, that's Jesus. Come to him today in faith. Receive the free gift of salvation that he offers. And then learn to meditate on his word. And daily meet with the one who from heaven saw your sin. Saw how far short you fell from the glory of God and came running to your rescue. Discover the wonder of communing with a God who would willingly die for your sins. And as you meditate scripture, live your days hand in hand with a God who is alive the God who rules, and the God who loves you dearly. Knowing that this is available to us, knowing that this type of meditation is available to us every day, I hope you're asking the same question I was asking, and that's, how can I do it? How can I be in God's presence every day? There's a few proven steps. And as you might imagine, the first one, which is probably the most important, and for us, in the environment that we live in, it's probably the most difficult. We have to dedicate time. 
whether it be in the morning or at night, some manner of time has to be dedicated to this. And once we've done that, once we've established that habit, dedicating time, we start with having a loving conversation with God. Ask him through his spirit to reveal the word to us. Ask him to meet with you in the text. And don't do this for discovery. Don't do this to learn something about God. Do this for intimate communion with the Spirit in his word. And then read the passage slowly. We have to slow down as we read. So often we want to blaze through the text, check the box, yep, I read my Bible, and get on with our day. But if we do that, it's like the word of God flows through a pipe and pours out the other end. We want to slow down and absorb what the Spirit has to say. And as we read, do so with a repentant spirit. Do so in knowledge of who you're standing before. Maybe the words of Charles Spurgeon are applicable in this. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. That's the kind of attitude we need to approach it with. The next step is meditate or think deeply on a brief passage or a narrative. Consider Lectio Divina, which is just a Latin phrase that means divine reading. It's another ancient practice of inserting yourself into the text. It's not just reading from the outside, but actually going inside as an observer or a participant. As you're there pondering and meditating the scripture, think about what it was like for the writer. Paul writing to the Philippians under house arrest in Rome. Imagine the flicker of the candle. You can hear commotion in the street just outside. What did that room smell like? What does it sound like? Picture yourself there. Picture the weight of a loaf and a fish in your hand as you drew them out of the basket as the disciples were distributing. Immerse yourself in the text. And then contemplate. Rest in silence and let God's Spirit speak. He will. And then as he speaks, take that one thought or that one verse with you throughout the day. Ponder this verse or this narrative and allow it to become part of your memory. Because when it becomes part of your memory, when you've repeated to yourself over and over, it begins to change who you are. Allow it to shape you in the image of Christ. You know, as we break down these steps, we see that meditation starts with an act of faith. It's an act of faith that God will speak, that he'll drown out the noise of this world, all of the distractions that surround us, and he'll triumph over any false thoughts that we may have. And by faith, we believe that the same spirit that spoke to the early writers of this text is the same spirit that will speak to us so that we hear the message that we are meant to hear through the reading and the meditation. And whatever meditation routine you settle into, no, it's not the strategy of how you perform it that'll magically deliver you to a divine revelation. It's the grace of God to speak to you as you approach him with a sincere and repentant heart. So as we close, let's look at verse 14. It's the last verse in this chapter. And the desired result of meditation is right there. It's that the word would come alive in us. You see that the request is that the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to God. And it's a question. Asking God, let this happen. Let the meditations of my heart. 
We want those meditations to be more than just building head knowledge. Can they, may they penetrate our hearts. May they mold it to be more like Jesus. So that the end result of pondering God's word throughout the day and meditating on his truth are that they change you. What you think about, what you meditate on, and what you love eventually molds who you are. Molds how you act. Molds what you say. And we can see that there in the very beginning of verse 14. It molds what you say. And this is the goal. That a changed heart through meditation gives way to a changed life and changed words. Let the words of my mouth show that I have spent time with Jesus. May they give witness of his love and his peace that I have. May everything I say reflect my knowledge of Jesus Christ to people that I see every single day. May everyone that I come in contact with know that I'm a follower of Jesus. May they hear the gospel in my voice. Church, I hope that's your desire today. As we close this morning, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. Oh, we thank you that your word has been preserved through the centuries and is as powerful now as the moment that your spirit wrote it through the hands of those writers. God, we thank you that it's applicable that it's living and active, and that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, I pray that this word would be hidden in our hearts as we ponder it, as we meditate it, that when life comes at us, when situations come before us that are tough, when conversations begin with coworkers, that your word is always the first thing we reference. God, and may the end result be, we pray, that everything that comes from our mouth would give witness to you. We love you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.